today on Ag News Daily. We used to feed them years ago when I lived in southeast Iowa when beans were $6 a bushel and a few supplement. They're excellent supplement for cattle as well if you need it. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, talking with Delaney Howe, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Mike. How about you? Ah, surviving, surviving. I tell you what, rode the train out to the western suburbs early this morning to tape this week in agribusiness, and I got to be the solo host. Both Max and Orion have decided that now is a good enough time to take a vacation, <laughs> so they're uh, they're camping out in their respective uh, domiciles, and uh, I got to brave the train to head out west. Yeah, I suppose if you don't have to travel, it's not recommended that you do. 100%. 100%. And, you know, I think in the case of so many people in farm country in particular, um, you know, age is definitely a risk factor in this. 60 over, there's, there's an enhanced risk than there is for somebody who's 35 like me. I can, you know, uh, looking at the statistics, your shot only is even better than my shot at uh, if we should catch some of this coronavirus action. I, you mean I'm more likely to catch it or less likely? I mean, you're less likely to be negatively impacted right. permanently, i.e. die. Right. Yes, that's correct. Right, because you're you're youthful. You're youthful and full right. of vim and vigor. I am. Yes, that's right. Well, what is your youth telling you about the market news today? Well, it's been interesting to watch it all. That's for sure. Potentially hop in there and try and trade your hand at it here. Um, but as far as the latest updates in COVID nineteen, we've seen a couple big groups come together and put some pressure on the administration, specifically the restaurant industry as well as the grocery industry. According to the National Restaurant Association, they sent a letter to Congress and the White House both requesting for aid in the $1 trillion economic stimulus package that is under discussion right now in Congress. They said that if we see restaurants shut down for just three months because of COVID-19. They will lose approximately 25% of their annual revenue, which is valued at about $225 billion. That is a big number, Delaney. It is a big number. You are absolutely right on sale there. The other thing to consider is, you know, we don't know yet if grocery stores will be shut down, but... Local and regional agriculture and food markets could stand to lose up to $688.7 million in sales through May because of shutdowns at grocery stores, restaurants, etc. So, you know, this is kind of the time, unfortunately, chaos creates, you know, maybe sometimes an opportunity. But I've seen, especially on Twitter and Facebook, a lot of farmers looking and reaching out to consumers directly saying, hey, if you need, you know, X product, if you need some beef or whatever, this is the time when they're taking advantage of that situation, trying to figure out how to make ends meet. Exactly. How to make ends meet. And shutdowns are a watchword today around the globe. There's a rumor this morning that has now been confirmed. A mayor in Argentina, so this is the guy who is in charge of the port of Timbues, T-I-M-B-U-E-S, down in the southern Santa Fe province. This is a huge export hub for grains and oilseeds, and he is working to persuade the government to close down port operations. Uh, He is looking to ban the arrival of trucks carrying grains and soybeans from Friday, tomorrow, until April 2nd. 
crushers in the area who are making soybean meal and oil have said they will continue to crush until they run out of beans, and they are furious that this mayor is trying to shut down um, business. He is saying, uh, they are saying, quote, the decision of the Timbuis authorities to close all grain terminals is regrettable. All the big terminals are there. This situation is incredible and unprecedented. This is the head of the Exporters Chamber, CRCEC. This was certainly a bullish piece of news on the back of soybeans earlier today. It helped spark a very early morning rally. And then once it was confirmed, that rally just continued in beans. And we'll get to that a little bit later on when we get to the markets, Delaney. Well, and in talking about beans in particular, We've heard some unconfirmed rumors of Chinese buying from two different Argentine facilities, big crushing facilities. But we've also then heard some rumors saying that potentially crushing facilities are suspending port operations, including incoming and outgoing trucks. Mm. But a couple market analysts that I was uh, chatting with today said that Rosario grain ports are still up and running as normal, according to Bloomberg. So I am not sure what the case really is here. You know, this is a lot of, we're getting early stories, we're getting early rumors, and these things mm-hmm. are moving the markets, but it's going to take a little while to sort fact from fiction. Yes, it is. And we got some more of that. Delaney, there was a rumor overnight that China had stepped in to purchase some U.S. corn cargoes. Has not been confirmed as of 2 o'clock this afternoon, but uh, definitely was bullish news for corn early trading in early trading, as well as the fact that crude oil exploded today. Crude oil prices were up 20% after a three-day sell-off, and this has some analysts thinking that, hey, okay, maybe we sold these ethanol plants too short. Maybe we will continue to grind for ethanol. And that was another bullish factor for the corn market. As the day drug on, although corn did sell off pretty consistent, well, about 10 cents off the highs uh, by the time we closed this afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. But one thing we do know for sure, no need to buy the rumor, sell the fact on this piece of news, is a relief package that was passed by Congress and is heading to the president's debt. Well, actually, I'm sorry, the president has signed it as well. And that was one of the relief packages specifically designed to alleviate those folks that are on food stamp or SNAP benefits, and we saw Congress as well as the president sign off on a $400 million commodity package, which, I mean, theoretically, like, that should be supportive to agriculture, the fact that the government is going to step in and make sure that people have food during these times. However, we still haven't seen a final vote yet. It's still being debated in Congress about a basically $1 trillion economic stimulus package, which could include a lot of moving parts, including, like I said, their restaurant bailouts, airline bailouts, the potential for, you know, $1,000 to $2,000 per Americans um, as part of the, I guess, stimulus package. But the other thing to keep in mind here, Mike, is now we're starting to hear some rumors and trickles that perhaps this $1 trillion economic stimulus package could include some funding for the CCC fund. And Mike, do you know what the CCC fund is for? I'm thinking our listeners are probably all aware, but just in case they're not the CCC, that is where the MFP monies came from. Yes. So this would be an unprecedented event if President Trump is going and Sonny Perdue are going to find a way to give out some additional dollars this year. More than likely, it would come from the CCC. So if they can get it restocked, then that uh, would be some dry powder to get some action in. Absolutely. But it's still just a buy, buy the rumor, sell the fact kind of news piece right now. 
It is. And one of the things we have noticed with this coronavirus action taking center stage in Washington, D.C., some things have slowed. Notably, the granting of visas to agricultural workers has slowed. Uh, This is because so much stuff is being discussed in D.C., because so many workers are staying home. All of those factors have combined to mean that visa processing has just slowed way down. So the government, or at least a small section of the government, is weighing options to allow seasonal guest workers from Mexico into the U.S., and they're trying to find a way to do it basically without a visa or in a way that would let them come over a little sooner and then get a visa scheduled or, or, you know, put in place a little bit later on. There are also about 20,000 either H-2A or H-2B positions that have expiring contracts of people that are here that are going to be expiring in the next couple of weeks where those workers should technically have to leave. So it sounds like the USDA and the Department of Labor are also working to figure out what to do with those people that are already in country. All right. Well, Delaney, I'll tell you what, I'm all out of news. Do you have any other news stories for us for today? You know what, Mike? I had just one other piece of news here as we look at things outside of the coronavirus. Agriculture is still moving and grooving, including sign up for the ARC or PLC payments. We saw the USDA was very excited. They said this year they actually had numbers exceeding their expectations and saw about 1.7 million contracts for either PLC or ARC programs. And so that was about 5% more than the USDA expected. Interesting news, Delaney. I tell you what. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. The viscosity rating SAE standard that motor oil meets do not tell the entire story. The numerical rating, for example, 10W30, defines the oil's performance at two temperatures, 0 and 210 degrees Fahrenheit, with the W standing for winter. The letters such as CK define the specifications the oil meets determined by the requirements of the engine manufacturer working with the American Petroleum Institute. But none of this reveals the oil's surface tension or ability to move through the engine. That is measured in centistokes for centimeters per second. The legal centistokes range for 10W30 oil is 9.3 to 12.49, a 35% difference in surface tension. The lower the centistokes, the easier the oil moves through the engine. For this reason, you will find some brands build oil pressure sooner, even though the ratings on the jug are the same. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit FarmMachineryDigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles. All right, well, let's take a look here. We did have green on the screen, and the greens, as I mentioned, we did have corn up big earlier in the session, did pull back off the highs towards the close, but still in positive territory. The May contract was up 10 cents, 10 and a quarter, in fact, to finish the day at 345 and a half. December up five and a half to finish at 363 and a quarter. Over in soybeans, the May contract was up 17 and three quarter cents, closed at 843 and a quarter. November new crop up six and a half, wrapping up the day at 848 and a half. Chicago wheat was not left behind. In fact, it led the pack. The May contract was up 26 and three quarter cents, closing at 535. December up 
up 19 and a quarter, finishing the day at 544 and a quarter. Looking over at the world of livestock, we've got green on the screen yet again. Limit up in all classes of live and feeder cattle. The April contract live cattle up the daily $3 trading limit, finished at 95.10. June up $3 as well, to close at 88.92 and a half. Those contracts will all be trading expanded limits up to 450 tomorrow. Feeder cattle up 450, the daily trading limit in all contracts. The April contract up 450 to close at 114.12 and a half. The May up 450 as well to finish at 113.02 and a half. Looking over at lean hogs, the April contract up $3, up the daily trading limit, close the day at 61.15. May up $1.30 to close at $60 on the button. Jumping over to the world of dairy, mixed trade in dairy today. The March contract was down three cents, excuse me, six cents to close at sixteen twenty-six, while the April was up thirty-five to close the day at sixteen oh two. Without further ado, let's get to our interview where we discuss how diversification can add some revenues on the farm. Well, I'm very excited today. We're not going to be talking about coronavirus for today's interview. Instead, we're going to be talking about diversification in agriculture. And we've got a great guy to chat about just that. Bill Casey of Casey Beef LLC. Well, actually, Bill, you have quite a few different titles, it sounds like. So I'll just let you explain a little bit about your operation and your diversity in agriculture. Uh, sure. Well, um, on our farm side, our main enterprise is uh, is cattle. Uh, we keep about 500 head of stalker calves around that that uh, we sell and buy. Uh, use I don't know. Some people may have heard of Bud Williams. Uh, he was an uh, an old cattle handling guy, and uh, and I learned marketing from him uh, amongst other people. But Bud really put a put a twist on it for me. And so uh, we we're buying and selling cattle almost every week. Um, buy lightweight calves and ones and twos that are, you know, need a little better home. And uh, we, we take good care of them, package them up, and then, you know, sell them sorted up, vaccinated up, and and uh, ready to go. We try to try to watch the markets and uh, sell whatever weight class is, uh, is overvalued and try to buy back whatever weight class uh, is undervalued at, at that point in time and, and let the market roll where it does. There's... We keep the risk management from market uh, on the market just a little bit different. I mean, you can do hedging or options or whatever to manage your inventory value, but we're basically basis trading cattle, just like grain traders trade grain, whatever. And uh, that's Fantastic. probably one of our main deals. But we got about 230 cows, and we direct market right now about 40 or 50 head a year as beef. And uh, one thing that's recent deal has got us wound up to do is we're going to uh, try to triple that in the next year or so and uh, sell more of our home raised calves where we know what the genetics are as uh, direct direct marketed beef. Uh, Bill, let's dive farm, into this direct marketing a little bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. Bill, let's, let's dive into that. How did, you, how did you decide you wanted to go the direct marketing route and then once you made that decision, how did you go about finding buyers? Okay, well, we've been doing it for over 25 years, probably. I'm about 52. I started started in my late 20s. Uh, we always ate home-raised beef when I was a kid. I can never I can never stand the beef at school or anything like that, you know, just from a taste and quality standpoint, and uh, just had an interest in it. So uh, when I started on my own, oh, let's see, back in '94, 
we just started selling one or two and it just kind of slowly grew and we've been in that 30 to 50 range probably for the last eight or 10 years and the only reason i really haven't expanded it more is just time we got we got on the edge of too many things going on too many different things going on it's trying to you know get everything systemized and streamlined but as far as finding customers uh just just local people i knew that wanted to eat good beef and then we basically just grew it all based off of uh referrals and word of mouth we don't do any kind of fancy advertising at this point anyway besides your twitter account right (laughs) oh well yeah i don't know if that's brought me any beef customers (laughs) but uh you never you never know i might have to start using that well that's another skill set i need to develop (laughs) (laughs) well and as you look at your twitter profile i think it's interesting that you know you've got british white angus and fleck v i've never heard of that brand of cattle but why did you choose those Uh, three breeds in particular Okay, well, uh, that's that's the future plan. Right now, we're mostly British White and Angus Cross, but the Fleck V, I found a breeder in Iowa that I really like. They are a uh, an old strain of Simmental, so basically, those are the the strain that came from Austria. And this guy has, uh, you know, twenty five, thirty years ago, brought over embryos and semen, and pro- I don't know if they brought any live animals or not. But basically, started his his herd from a, a, a pure strain of the Simmental breed that came from Austria, and they call them Fleckvi. So uh, they're red uh, with, uh, you know, might have some white on them, but they're not. He's got a few that are striped, just like the old the old style ones were, but the cattle are uh, a little more moderate, and they're definitely not black. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're actually a pure line-bred strain. So I cross them up with... Uh, some line bred Angus genetics that I get from a buddy of mine, Lawrence, Kansas, at Swearingen and Angus. And then uh, I've always been interested in the, in the British White or White Park breed. The meat quality is just spectacular. They make great mothers. The only downfall to them is just because of the color they are, they'll bring a discount to sell barn, but I direct market all my steers and pound cows. So that doesn't matter for us. It's the scale we're at. And uh, they've, you get the heterosis with the black, with the old style black Angus, like uh, some of the. Uh, I'm not very good at the Angus genetic stuff, but it's it's not modern stuff. It's more of the moderate frame, thick bodied, easy doing stuff from 30, 40 years ago that that they bred their their deal up with. And then I found uh, I've got some semen and some cows I developed. Uh, the semen all came from a breeder up in Western Iowa I found years ago, and I used another extremely good herd and i'm actually going to try to kind of create my own little land race uh composite is for myself only not to resell but that way i get production so the the flex is going to add you know they're very gentle the flex is going to add a little bit of muscle uh and, and, and hybrid vigor they got good milk and then uh the british whites have a high butterfat milk very good meat quality and they, they all just cross up great with those old style Angus. That is neat. That is neat to hear, Bill. It's neat to see you guys out there still pushing kind of the limits of genetics and just seeing exactly how great we can make American beef really be. But you're not just active on the cattle side. You're also doing some pretty cool things when it comes to non-GMO grain, diversifying the operation on the grain side. Can you talk us through a little bit about what you got going on there? Yeah, and you know, we only... We only crop farm a couple hundred acres, uh, and I'm in the seed business as well. Uh, 
but I don't know. I guess I'm kind of a control freak to some degree. And since we, uh, we don't farm a lot of acres, I'm always trying to maximize margins. And right now we're still in commodity stuff, but I've basically quit growing wheat and we grow a, a couple varieties of barley that I get out of uh, BPI, Virginia Polytech. They've got some really good, uh, high-yielding quality barley varieties that are new. they got a very very good small grains program there. And uh, they seem to fit really well in southeast Kansas. We're on about the same latitude as, as parts of Virginia. They seem to handle our wet weather fairly well. And then uh, I sell that for cover crop seed if I can. For a bit of a premium, it's certified, and my backup plan is I just grind it and feed it to the cattle, and then replant it, use it for my own cover crops, and then uh, I don't have the fanciest of no-till equipment, so I usually bale the barley straw, and uh, my cows, I calve in this May and June, most May through September, let's say, and the ultimate goal is May and June, so uh, my cows usually lose a little weight in the wintertime. And and then I let them get fat in March, April, and early May ahead of calving, so I don't have to spend money there. They will eat the barley straw if I supplement them with some corn gluten feed for protein, and you know hang in there, particularly when they're dry. And then I do the same thing with corn. So our main crop rotation is corn, uh, barley right behind it that fall. I bale the corn stalks off as well and feed them. Uh, two reasons. One, they're, they're halfway decent feed. They, my cows eat, eat the corn stalks quite well, and then it lets me get a really good stand of barley without buying a lot more expensive drill. I got a really good old drill, but it's double disc opener. It won't go through It won't go through 150 to 180 bushel corn residue. So that supplies forage, low quality forage, but good enough forage for cows in the winter. And then I'll double crop uh, non-GMO beans. I uh, just started doing that last year, and I got a K-State variety, uh, 5518, and it is a very seems to be a very good yielder. It's full season bean though, like 5.2 uh, to a 5.5 five, five maturity, which is about as full as we can get where we're at. Uh, and then I uh, I uh, just picked up uh, a dealership with uh, Virtue Seeds, and they have. Uh, some non-GMO soybean varieties that look to be pretty high-yielding, kind of a different style of bean than the K-State one, and they have the STS. They've been selected for STS tolerance, so I can kind of help with my weed control program if I want to use a finesse uh, for, for weed control in my wheat, start or not the wheat, but the barley, start off with a super clean field, and then uh, we come in, Cut the barley grain, bale the barley straw, plant the beans, and then come back in with a uh, um, burn down if necessary, but usually the field's pretty clean, and uh, and then uh, pre-emerge herbicides. And uh, last year I didn't have to use any posts following barley on the non-GMO beans. Had extremely good weed control and extremely good yields. So that's the rough cropping plan not that we won't throw something else in there you know some clover or alfalfa or something but basically we're trying to grow cattle feed and then if i can get a good enough money out of the non-gmo beans which last year i got a pretty good premium then i just use that money and buy buy extra feed and if beans ever get crazy stupid cheap and uh 
we used to feed them years ago when I lived in southeast Iowa when beans were $6 a bushel. And if you supplement, they're an excellent supplement for cattle as well if you need it. I mean, it sounds like you've got a pretty neat kind of full circle system, Bill. Um, as you look at this year in particular, I guess I don't know how wet Kansas was compared to years prior, but what are you anticipating to see for this year's growing season? <laughs> well, I don't know. It looks like deja vu all over again. Uh, we got, depending upon where you're at in southeast Kansas, our average rainfall is around 42 or 3 inches, 20-year average. And last year we got between 65 and 90 inches, depending upon where you were. Uh, probably as big a crop disaster as 2012 was, depending upon what kind of ground you had and circumstances. So all I know is right now it's very wet. Uh, it's rained, let's see, what are we, we're in March. I'm sure we've had eight, eight inches this year already. It's raining right now as we speak, drizzling, and uh, ground's totally saturated. Barely got the barley top dressed before it rained again. So I don't know. Uh, buddy of mine is a, is a uh, meteorologist, and he's calling for us to be kind of wet all the way through the end of May, which sounds about like last year. So we'll see what happens. There won't there won't be any spare time to mess around. There won't be, but there's always time to get that beef raised up and got got out to people who are really craving some high-quality beef. Bill, before we let you go, if we've got any listeners who want to reach out, maybe try some of this beef you, you're growing there on the operation, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, just uh, give me a phone call at 620-423-2842. And uh, we sell most of it within a three-hour, you know, kind of reasonable driving range of where we're at in South east kansas but i i've got a, some we're looking at, at shipping options and i think i can pull some things off so uh just trying to make sure we study everything and, and do it all on the proper the proper the proper way i guess that's uh, right if you're going to do yeah, something that, you want to do it right beef, we, we uh we process it all at a local processor either eight miles or 30 miles away and they're dry aged the, the 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 hanging carcasses are dry aging we're from two to three weeks and low stress all that it, it, bottom line it's it's delicious i guess our, the tagline i came up with uh about six months ago is uh, uh beautiful productive and delicious that's that's what we're trying to do that's what we're all striving for bill casey thanks for taking the time for chatting with us today you bet have a good one Well, again, a big thank you there to Casey. He's at CaseyAg1 on Twitter, folks. If you'd like to follow him or chat with him about his operation, maybe get some advice about how to do some different things on your farm. But we always chat about interesting topics like these on our podcast. You can find us on any of the platforms where you listen to podcasts or head to our website, agnewsdaily.com, to listen to any of our past episodes. That is correct. Listeners, get on there. Hit us up on social media. We love to talk with you. We love to hear from you. We want to know what's going on in your part of the world. And with that, Delaney, should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.